This morning, I want us to think specifically about Jesus Christ and His mission and what He really came to do and what that simple word, save, really means. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, the angel comes to Joseph. And this is really the first words in the New Testament. We haven't heard anything directly from God to His people for 400 years. And then Matthew records for us the opening of the, the Word of God again to His people as He begins to speak. And one of the first things that happened was an angel came to Joseph, uh, basically in a dream, and said to him that he should not be afraid to take Mary as his wife, because the child that was in her womb was of the Holy Spirit. She was indeed a virgin. She had not known a man in that intimate sense. And the angel reassured Joseph that the child she was carrying was a gift from God for his people. And in verse 21 of Matthew 1, he says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. There is more pregnant in this passage than Mary. This statement, he will save his people from their sins, is pregnant with meaning. It is filled with depth. It encompasses so very much. And I want us to spend some time this morning thinking about what that phrase means. Not only for the Jewish people, but for us. Because not the Jews alone are His people, but so are we. Remember when Jesus was... Uh, having that last conversation with his disciples before the crucifixion, and they had that uh, time where he was praying for them in what we have come to call the, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He prayed not for these only, but also for all those who would believe because of their witness. All of his people... And the writer of Hebrews tells us when he considered the cross, that he considered the glory and the majesty and the beauty of the church that he was purchasing with his own blood on Calvary's tree. And that he had in his mind as he hung on the cross, the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of God. He is the author 
and the perfecter of our faith. And as He was on the cross, He was contemplating us. We are His people. Paul in the book of Acts was in one town and having a difficult time and things were not going well. And he was seeking the mind of God. And God said to him as he prayed over his ministry in that community, I have many people in this town that you do not know about yet. In other words, God knew the names of every person in that community that would respond to the message of the gospel and encouraged Paul to keep preaching because there were yet others who would respond and receive Jesus Christ. And he said, I have many people. They were his people. Just waiting for the announcement of the good news. And they would respond to the wooing of the Holy Spirit and open their heart to Jesus Christ. And so, when the angel said to Joseph, He will save His people from their sins, he was not thinking only of the Jews, but of everyone down through the centuries that would open their lives to the message of Jesus Christ and receive Him as Lord and Savior and allow the Holy Spirit to effect in them a new birth that they might have a new beginning. This word, save, is an interesting word. We have lost the full depth of its meaning in, in our times. And as long as I can remember, I grew up in a certain tradition that was very evangelistic. And uh, the, the message all was, always was, are you saved? And what they meant by that was, are you going to heaven? Do you know that your sins are forgiven and you're going to heaven? I learned an evangelistic methodology that asked uh, two diagnostic questions. And one of those were, was, if you were to die today and stand before God, and He were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And the question uh, the, 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 the focus was on that moment of eternity when, when you stood before God in judgment. And, and the question was, would you enter heaven and be saved from hell? And so, we have come to think of salvation and being saved as referring primarily to escaping judgment with the forgiveness of sins and, and having heaven as our home. But that is only a part of the meaning. In fact, I would submit to you this morning that that is only a byproduct of the core truth of what being saved is all about. Where else would the people of God go except to be with Him eternally? It's kind of like the natural result. But the act of salvation, the effect of salvation, the process of salvation is much deeper than merely 
escaping the judgment of sin. The root of this word has to do with healing. It has to do with recovery. It has to do with restoration. In fact, 13 times in the Bible, it is translated to get well or to be made well. It's also translated to bring safely to a place. It's translated to cure. This word sozo. In in the Greek word sozo, there is the root of zoe or life. And it's translated to preserve and to recover and to restore. All of those meanings are possible within the context depending on how the word is used. Because the essence of it is to bring back to full health and to recover something that was lost or to recover from an illness. In fact, in John eleven twelve, when the messengers came from Mary and Martha saying that Lazarus was sick and uh, the disciples turned to Jesus and said, are we leaving right away? And, and uh, Jesus said to them, in essence, he's sleeping. And <clears throat> they misunderstood that and they said, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, surely he will recover. They meant that if he was sleeping, he would kind of rest off his illness and he would get well. Jesus had to explain to them a little more thoroughly, no, Lazarus has died, and I'm going to go there and see the power of God demonstrated. But, but it doesn't change the point that their impression was that Lazarus would recover from his illness. And the word that is used there, he will recover, is sozo. He will come back to life, to full health. One of the fascinating passages in which this word is used is 1 Corinthians 1.18, where Paul says that the word of God, the word of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross is the power of God to those who are being saved. When the angel said to Joseph, he will save his people from their sins, He did not mean only that when they stood at the judgment, they would escape condemnation. He meant that Jesus, this anointed one, and Yeshua means Savior, this anointed Savior, would enable recovery, restoration, Coming back to health. Being cured from an 
illness that is otherwise terminal. An illness known as sin that will not only destroy the body, but the mind and the spirit and the soul. And to be saved is to experience recovery. In the last words of the Old Covenant, and if you're there in Matthew 1, you just turn back about two pages and 400 years. And in those closing words of Malachi, in chapter 4, verse 2, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. I want you to get in your mind just for a moment the sunrise coming up. We have that beautiful image of that in the foyer and we've seen it many times. It's more lovely in the fall and the winter, I think, because of the way the atmosphere is. But you see the sun coming up and you see the rays and they just kind of spread everywhere. And then as we get closer to spring and we're getting tired of winter, And we're ready for a change. And we anticipate that those rays are going to bring warmth. And they're going to bring light. And the attitude of the sun is changing with respect to the earth. And the snow is melting. And all of a sudden you see those early flowers begin to poke their heads up. The little green shoots. And you know that uh, daffodils or whatever are on the way. And, and you sense that spring is coming, the, the spreading rays of the sun bringing warmth and life and, and restoration and springtime. And the prophet has this imagery in mind, but he is nonetheless alluding to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness, who will rise with healing in His wings. And I want you to just picture that for a moment. That Jesus came like the sun, dawning upon the landscape of humanity, bringing with Him rays of warmth, of recovery, of light, of health, of strength. And the word that is used here is healing, with healing in his wings. Look back with me even further to Jeremiah chapter 33. Jeremiah chapter 33, not one of those little prophets, but one of those longer prophets. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3. Let's look at verse 2. This is what the Lord says, He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, 
The Lord is His name. What do you think Jeremiah is doing there? He's underscoring the power of God. He's about to tell us something that is remarkable, that is amazing. He's about to give us an invitation that is almost unbelievable. And before he does, he wants us to remind us with whom we have to do. Who is making this promise? The one who made the earth. The Creator. And he says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the houses in this city and the royal palaces of Judah that have been torn down to be used against the siege ramps and the swords in the fight with the Babylonians. They will be filled with the dead bodies of men. I will slay in my anger and wrath. I will hide my face from this city because of all its wickedness. This was in a time when Jerusalem had literally dismantled some of its buildings in order to build defensive ramparts and protection. The city was in its last breath of survival before it was overrun by Babylon. And in that dismal time, verse 6, this is what God says, and this is the same word that is used in Malachi, chapter 4. Nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people and let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed against me and will forgive all their sins of rebellion. Then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all the nations on the earth that hear of all the good things I do for it, and they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace that I provide for it. I just want to stop there and, and ask you did, you, did you see in your mind's eye the image? This city that is under siege, this city that is dismantling its buildings to build defensive barriers, this city that is being ransacked, it is in its last gasping breaths of life as a metropolis. And God says, I will heal you. I will restore you. I will forgive your sin. I will bring recovery. Can you see what God is promising? I'm going to build the city back. I'm going to fill it up. I'm going to clean out all the debris. I'm going to get rid of all the junk. The buildings will be rebuilt. The streets will be clear again of clutter. And then he goes on to say, this is what the Lord says in verse 10, 
that you will say about this place, it is a desolate waste without men or animals. And in the towns of Judah, the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither men nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, And the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good, for His love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. Let me begin to dial in and make this personal to you. Think back on your life. Has there been a time in your life, or maybe it's still that way today, that you were like a captive city? That there was neither life, not even an animal roaming in your streets? That it was bleak and grim and full of debris and you were even being dismantled in an effort for survival, for for clinging to some hope, for some desperate another month, another year, another couple of years because of the ravages of sin, because of the brokenness of your life, because of the damage that life wreaks upon us. Not really life, but living in a world that is dead. I said Christmas Eve at our service, the older I get, the more I realize how broken we are as people. We are broken. We're we're damaged goods. None of us has perfect parents. None of us has a perfect environment. And even if we had all those things on the positive side, we're all born with a sin nature. We'd mess it up ourselves without any help. We make messes. Ugly messes. Tragic messes. Things happen that we don't like. Life is difficult, and we are a people that are suffering because of sin, your own and the sins of others. And God says, I will rise with healing in my wings. I will recover. I will restore. I will rebuild. I will fill your life with gladness. There will be the sound of children playing in the streets. People will fall in love in your life and get married. There will be the sound of bride and bridegroom. 
I will fill your life with joy and laughter. What an amazing promise. What a glorious recovery to those who are unbelievers and are perishing. The word of the cross is foolishness. But to us who are being healed, it is the power of God. The word of the cross that exposes our nakedness, that exposes our brokenness, is the power of God to bring us healing. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Salvation is not just when we stand before the judgment and escape hell. It's for right now. In fact, that's a present tense verb in 1 Corinthians 1.18. To those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Salvation is this moment. It's right now. We're being saved today. God can save you this moment from your brokenness. Isn't that wonderful? I don't have to live in the, in the garbage of my, of my past, in the failures of my sinful behavior. I don't have to live in the brokenness of my life. God can transform me. He can bring joy to my heart. He can bring recovery from the damage. And the ravages of sin. There is healing and hope in Jesus. He will save His people from their sins. Not just then in judgment, but now. You don't have to be the same old stinking person that you started out like. Isn't that good news? I can be changed. You can be changed. I I was thinking back over my life, where would I be today without Jesus? What would I be like if my temper remained unbridled? If my passions were unchecked? if my depression had matured into suicide? Where would I be if I were even here without Jesus? He has changed me. He has changed me. He has made me a new person in Jesus Christ. And the process goes on. Uh, You know, I I learn new stuff about me all the time. Stuff I don't like. Do you ever have those moments? I know you do. Charles Spurgeon said, if you want to nail people right where... He didn't put it that way, but he said, if you want to nail people right where they are, that's what he told his students in, in his preaching class. Preach about your own sins. Because they have the same ones. And you'll always be on target, you know? Now I forgot what I was going to say. (laughs) Do you ever have those moments um, when you're alone 
and you have a memory that comes back of some stupid, foolish thing you did, and your face turns red, even though there's no one there to see it, you're just so embarrassed by your own stupidity. You know, just the memory of it makes you color. You ever have those experiences? Yes, you do. You know, and you look back on those things and on your life and you say, Oh, man, how could I have been so foolish? Aren't you glad that Jesus can save you from those foolish things? Aren't you glad He can transform you? Aren't you glad He can give you life? Aren't you glad He can repair the damage in your lives? And like Jerusalem, (laughs) that He's going to heal. He says, I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise, the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved. And Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord our righteousness. Do you see how these words are so intertwined? Healing, salvation, righteousness, recovery, restoration. God is on a mission. And the mission is to repair your life. It is to recover what was lost. He starts by giving you new birth. Brings the Holy Spirit into your life and brings you alive. And then He begins the process of tearing down your defense mechanisms. Of bringing you to face the truth of attacking your bad habits and replacing them with the power of His Spirit in spiritual fruit as He saves you from yourself, as He prevents you from running headlong into the streets of disaster, but places your feet upon a rock and moves you in a path of righteousness, and recovers holiness, which is a beautiful thing. We tend to think of holiness as like, oh, i got to keep all the rules. Holiness is, is the life of Jesus coming through us, and the Bible describes it as the beauty of holiness. There's nothing more beautiful more lovely to behold than a godly woman or a godly man who is full of the Spirit of God, manifesting the life of Christ. That is health. That is wholeness. That's beauty. 
I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9 as I conclude. What will this Savior be like? And you shall call His name Yeshua, because He will save His people from their sin. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke. The burdens them uh, that burdens them that bar uh, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning fuel for the fire. In other words, war is going to end. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What is this Jesus like? This Son who was given? Well, He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Friend, are you at a point in your life where you don't know what to do next? You're facing problems and you don't know the answer? You have difficulties in your life and you don't know the way around them. Maybe you've made a mess and you don't know how to undo the tangle that you have created. Maybe you're at a point of decision and you don't know which path to choose. I know someone who is a wonderful counselor. And he says, if you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And if you lack wisdom, ask of me and I will give it to you liberally and without any rebuke. Do you need wisdom this morning? Do you need guidance? Do you need answers? Do you need direction? He is the wonderful counselor. There is no problem in your life that he cannot solve. People do say to me sometimes, that's not working for me. I, I, I only have one answer for that. Let God be true, though every man be a liar. God cannot lie. 
He promises wisdom to those who seek. He promises answers to those who ask. There is a catch. When you search for me with all your heart, when you want my will more than anything else, when you're willing to do what I say, no matter what the answer, I will tell you. If God isn't working for you, it's because you're still double-minded. I don't know how else to put it. It's a simple truth. But if you're willing, if you're desperate, I was contemplating doing something I'd never done before. I was going to read you a sermon this morning that I didn't write. I was thinking about reading you a, a devotional called Shipwrecked at the Manger or the Stable. But the Lord put this on my heart instead. But friends, you've got to be shipwrecked before you're really willing to cling to the plank that Jesus is offering to grab the life preserver. But if you're desperate, I know a wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. Not only does he have answers, he has power. When he gives you counsel and you take it, he has the power to effect transformation. I sometimes feel very, very impotent as I counsel with people who are asking for advice or guidance or biblical answers and, and I share them and I realize I can no more fix their lives then I can fly away from this area this morning and soar out the door and fly off somewhere else. I, I have no power. All I can do is offer Jesus. Well, that's no little thing, but when it's up to me, I have nothing. But He is the mighty God. He has power. He can not only give you counsel... He can change your life. He has the ability to make a difference. Jesus is called the Everlasting Father. Ah, that's because He's the second Adam. And you too can be born again of His seed. You can come to life in Him. You can be part of the family of God. You can have a new beginning. Isn't that amazing? You can start over. How many people in life have said, oh, if I could just start over? You can. In Jesus Christ, you can be made a new creation. He is the everlasting Father who gives life to Everyone who turns to Him. And you can be born 
into the race of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and have a fresh beginning. He is the Prince of Peace. I was corresponding with someone who had made an inquiry to me via email, and I said to them, I won't be available available to communicate with you until after noon on Sunday, because I'm a pastor and I have a service Sunday morning. And he wrote back and said, I hope you will give them something positive and encouraging in these times. And I wrote back and said, I always preach positive and encouraging messages. Because there is nothing more positive or encouraging than the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not soft messages. They're not kind of fluffy, pampery kinds of feel-good stuff. No, (laughs) the truth is what brings transformation. But I'm here to tell you this morning, if your life is troubled, he is the Prince of Peace. And in a world today that has no peace, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Oh, friends, we will call his name Jesus because he will save us from our sins. Are you saved this morning? Are you being saved today? Do you know for sure that when you stand at judgment, you will be saved? Have you come to the Savior that came to the manger to be the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Son of Righteousness that rises with healing in His wings. Father, we are so grateful that You have given us Your Son, that He has freely come to be our Savior, and that today we are different people who sit in this room because of Jesus. And we do have hope, and we have a future, and our lives are under construction, being remade into the image of your own dear Son. And in that restoration, there is joy and peace and blessing. Lord, may we not run from the cross. For the word of the cross, the words of the cross, are to us who are being saved the power of God to transform us. Thank you for the hope that we have. In Jesus Christ, thank you 
for Jesus, for Yeshua, our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.